I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 17. And we're going to read verses 16 through 21. Acts 16, Acts 17, 16 through 21. So we continue um, our, our journey through uh, the acts of the risen Lord Jesus in God's inspired word. I invite you to stand out of respect for the reading of that word. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting, for you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Amen. You may be seated. Friends, we come to the point in the book of Acts uh, where Paul makes his famous address to the Areopagus um, in Athens. And many of you have heard about Athens. Uh, You probably first heard about Athens, maybe even in school when you were learning about ancient civilizations. And you would know if if you've studied uh, Greek culture that Athens is a big deal. This is the place where the uh, you you could almost say it's it's like all the Ivy Leagues um, of the Greek world uh, combined in one spot. So this is, this is a big place. This is a big deal. And I always found it so interesting um, uh, that Paul speaks the gospel there because it just feels weird, feels odd. You know, there's this question asked, what does Jerusalem have to do with Athens, right? What does, uh, and, and, and there's a good answer to that. Actually, there's quite a bit. You're going to start to hear an answer to that today. But uh, what's so interesting, what's so compelling about this is that Paul is not afraid to bring the gospel right into the midst of a, of a skeptical um, and pagan world. He's not afraid to bring it right into the middle. And he believes with all his heart that the gospel is going to do its work. And indeed it does. Now, I was so excited to preach this to you that I almost just preached the whole thing and went into Paul's speech as well. But I, I said, you know... I believe that the Lord put on my heart that I should slow down, <laughs> should slow down because there's a lot here to work through. Um, and, and I want you to see some things here that the Lord is going to show us. Even leading up to the speech, even before the words are on Paul's lips, we see that God is showing us how to engage a culture that is godless, that is pagan, that has rejected him, and that feels very, very, very far from what um, the, the world of the Bible shows us. And the first thing that God is 
stirring up his church to see, even before Paul starts to speak, is he is stirring up in his church a holy outrage against idols. An outrage that leads to action. That's what we see today leading up to this speech. An outrage that leads to action. I want us to see this by following Paul's path. First, he sees, then he feels, and then he speaks. So we're going to to see the world around us, the pagan culture around us. We're going uh, to feel what God, uh, by the prompting of his Holy Spirit, by his conviction, would have us feel about this. And then we're going to see how we ought to follow Paul in acting, in speaking, in holy outrage against idols. What does Paul see? What does he see here? Well, you know, he leaves his other companions in Berea. Remember, he's traveling westward. Uh, he's come into Macedonia, and then he's, he's made his way all the way to, to Greece now. But he leaves a lot of his, his companions in Berea, and he goes alone. And you can almost picture, you, for the first time in your life, walking through some magnificent city, whether it be you know, New York City or um, you know, some great city in Europe, and, and you're walking through and you're seeing the sights and sounds. You're a sightseer. You're taking it in. Maybe you're on the tour bus. You know, maybe Paul's moving through Athens on the tour bus and he's taking it all in. He sees the Agora, the marketplace. He sees the Acropolis, uh, you know, the, 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 the political and highest place of, of, um, in the city of Athens. And he also takes in uh, the, the word here in, in the Greek New Testament really compels us to see that Paul takes in a theater in sights and sounds in really what is, what is on the, uh, the front line of that theater is idols, idols. Wherever he goes, wherever he looks, he just sees that the city is full of idols. And indeed, we, we've heard from historians who were, um, were at, in the city right around the time of Paul that there were over 30,000 idols strewn amongst the city. Mostly these, these huge uh, statues uh, that would loom much taller than the average man and woman. Uh, and, and we're talking uh, golden and bronze statues of Zeus, of Hermes, of Aphrodite, of Diana, of Bacchus, of Demos. You know, we, we could go on and on. These were the idols that had enchanted the people and they just put them everywhere. 30,000 statues all over the place. The same historian says it, it was more likely that you would run into an idol than a man on the main streets of Athens. You're looking for a person, you're probably going to find an idol before you find a person. That was just the ambiance of, of, this, of this place. And Paul takes in, he takes in the sights and sounds, and, 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 and the first thing he noticed is it is full of idols. Now, we're going to get in a moment to his response to that because that's very important. But the first thing I just want to do is I want to think about this for a moment. What are these idols doing here? Why did they put them there? What is an idol? Well, the people of Athens have put them there because really, whether they know it or not, they are searching for meaning and significance. They are searching for something to make sense of their lives. These were a people who thought 
The Athenians, they were known as a cultured people, a people of, of the brain, a people who spent a lot of time thinking, thinking, thinking. And their thinking has led them to look for something that could take the different strands of their lives and give them purpose and significance and meaning. Now, each of these different idols represents a different answer to that. You know, if you're looking to Aphrodite, well, perhaps beauty, perhaps physical beauty makes some some sort of sense and brings together uh, the different strands of our lives. Maybe that's what we should pursue more than anything else. If you look at Bacchus, you say, well, pleasure. (laughs) Pleasure is the answer. I'll I'll just, you know, uh, uh, eat and drink, be merry for tomorrow I die. Or maybe it's more civilized than that. Maybe Demos represents the answer. Political democracy and stability. Let the people choose. And then everything will be right in the world. Each idol represented this different approach to that. And whether the Greeks knew it or not, what they were essentially doing was taking their hopes and dreams, their man-made answers to the problems of life, and they were plugging them in uh, to a figure that you could touch and see right in front of you. and, And it wouldn't move. But it symbolized these aspirations of humanity. Hope. Significance, security. That's what an idol is. An idol is trusting in created things rather than the creator for our hope, for our significance, for our security. An idol is anything that takes the place of God and says, you're it. I found you. You're going to help me. You're going to get me through it. And as you read in the book of Romans, We in our sin and fallenness are, uh, as Calvin put it, idol-making factories. Our hearts just pump them out. Anything other than God, anything we can exchange for God uh, to find uh, fulfillment. It's the same today, isn't it? I know we don't have... 30,000 statues around us, but we have many, many idols. I would suggest more than that in our cities. Today, we see that pursuit for meaning and significance, you know, and and it all lines up with with the same Greek gods and goddesses, right? Maybe beauty is the answer. Look at the commercials that flash on the TV screen. Look at what, what you're looking, uh, look at the, um, uh, what do you call them? When you're driving down the highway and, and you see a big poster, right? On the side of the highway, you say, well, it's, it's this, this woman showing this, uh, this makeup that's going to bring you beauty, solve all your problems. Or maybe the answer is money. Maybe the answer is democracy. Maybe if we just go and vote on it, uh, then, then, then it will solve our problems and people will be really free. It's the same stuff. And so when you hear chants like my body, my choice, when you hear, uh, when you see people marching through the cities with, with rainbow flags, you need to understand this is nothing new. These are idols. These are attempts to find meaning and significance with unfettered human autonomy and personal freedom that says, 
Let me do whatever I want, God, and I'm going to find my way forward. I'm going to find that thing that makes sense of my life, whether it's beauty, Aphrodite, power, Zeus, pleasure, Bacchus, even democracy, Demos. Notice what Paul does. Before he feels, uh, not, not before he feels something, but, but as the first thing he does is he takes this in. He doesn't just take note of the idols. He really looks at them. The, the, the Greek here is really showing that he leans in and thinks about them. And later we're going to see in his speech that he actually took so much time that he walked up to, to several of them and looked at them and read the inscriptions on them. Paul is studying the idols of his culture. Why? Because he wants to understand people. He knows he needs to understand people and their deepest longings. He needs to understand what they're exchanging when they throw out God and plug something else into their lives. We need to take time to understand the pulse of our culture, the pulse of our neighbors. What do we see when we behold the idols of our culture? What are they doing? What are they saying? What message are they screaming? Find this and you'll be happy. What is the this that gets plugged in there? And let me give an encouragement to families who, you know, families, Christian families, you're living in the midst of a world full of idols. The answer is not to ignore them, to pretend like they're not there, to say, cover your ears, Sometimes cover your ears, right? Sometimes don't look. But really, the, the answer at some point needs to be, we've got to talk about this. And let's make our dinner tables. Let's make, let's make our discussion groups a place where we can um, uh, seek to understand what's going on there. And when our kids say, Daddy, Mommy, what's that song about? We say, well, let's think about that together. Here's what that's saying. Here's why that's an idol. Here's why it won't make you happy. That's powerful. It means you've taken the time to understand the marketplace of your world. And and you've really leaned in enough to understand what it's saying. But believing that these things aren't going to offer the true answer. Believing that the gospel is the only solution. So the first thing that Paul does is he inspects. He sees. He looks at the idols around us. And he becomes this master uh, discerner, studier of his culture of a new culture even. But as soon as he starts to study, he also starts to feel. What does he feel? He is, what what does the text say? Look at it. His spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. Paul is provoked when he sees these 30,000 statues all around him. He's deeply bothered. In fact, this word connotes a disgust, a physical sickness almost, a physical reaction saying, no, that's disgusting. I'm repulsed by that. That's Paul's reaction. Now, let me tell you something else that is key for understanding what's going on here. Everywhere else in the scriptures, especially the Old Testament, where this word is used, it is speaking of God's holy provocation in the face of idolatry. 
This is the same word that is used when Israel makes a golden calf. And it says that they provoked the Lord to jealousy. It's the same word that's used when the northern kingdom again makes an idol, makes a calf. It's like, you should have learned that the first time. No, they did it again. They make a calf. And what did they do? They provoked the Lord to jealousy. So what we see is the Lord is so, has this holy um, disgust with idolatry. He sees it's pulling his people away from him. It's taking them to a lie. It's, it's going to leave them empty and destroyed. And he hates that. And he wants their heart. Because he knows he's the only one who can satisfy their hearts. So what's going on here? Paul shares God's holy indignation when he sees people trading the truth of God for a lie. The provocation that burns within Paul is not not some some mere disgust. It's really a disgust that, that, that Christ is not being adored. That God is not being loved for who he is. It's the kind of disgust that maybe he was thinking when he was writing in Romans 1. They've traded the truth of God for a lie. They've exchanged God for these physical things, for these created human constructions. They've given their heart to idols. They should be giving their heart to Jesus. You know, I wonder, friends, how do you respond to the idolatry all around you? Because it is all around us. Are you disturbed by it? What's your response when you see, when you you walk through the Oregon district and see business after business with flags celebrating complete human autonomy over God's commands? When you scroll through social media and see people finding security and political saviors on the right and on the left. And when you see people committing themselves in the marketplace to do whatever they want, whenever they want, however they want to do it. What's your reaction? Is it, is it holy provocation? Is it disgust? Is it, is it a, a holy outrage against these things or is it is it a numbness are you starting to get used to this is it starting to become commonplace you know i've thought about this this week why don't we feel what paul felt here friends we don't feel what paul felt Because we don't see what he saw. When Paul looked at those idols, he saw human constructions that were were pulling people away from the one true God. When we look at the idols in our cultures, too often we just see business as usual. Oh, that's life. People do that. Now that's fun. We need to see idols for what they are. And it ought to make our hearts sink. We ought to see idols as thieves of glory that belongs to Jesus. And we ought to see them as thieves that leave people empty for eternity.
Indifference is one of the things that numbs us to the world around us when we say, well, you know, people are just going to do it. People are just going to have their idols. I just can't care about that. I've got my own things to worry about. That'll numb us to the concerns that we ought to have, to the holy provocation, the outrage we ought to experience. You know what else numbs us to, to a holy outrage in the face of idols? Complicity. When the church, despite what the Lord has called us to be, says, I'll have some of that idolatry. I'll enjoy that. In moderation. No. No idols. We can't take the things that God has given us and turn them into things that, that, that are our ultimate significance. And, and the way that you know that it's taking on an ultimate significance is what if God takes it away right now? Would your whole life be in shambles? I think some of us can think of particular things that the Lord would take away right now. And we would experience a kind of loss that betrays that thing has become an idol. Complicity, that'll also numb us to the idolatry around us. And it's one of the reasons why the church has not spoken out as it should, why it has not demonstrated a holy outrage around the globe about some of these idols that are pervading our world. Friends, we must start by seeing idols like Paul saw them as thieves of the glory that belongs to Jesus Christ. Amen? So Paul sees these idols. He feels a holy provocation. And if you don't feel that yet, I I pray, I I would ask you uh, to pray to the Lord that he would give that to you. But then Paul speaks. Then he takes action. The whole book of Acts, it's, it's a book of not sitting around and watching, not just, you know, oh, I don't like that. It's a book of action. It's called Acts. It's what they do. It's what we're supposed to do. And what Paul does is he proclaims Christ in the resurrection. I love this. He sees it. He's disgusted. He sees idols that make him want to puke. And yet he says, all right, I'm charging right in. I'm going to talk to these people. I'm going to get to know the people of Athens. And he does. He talks to the, to the Jews that are there. He talks to uh, your common pagan person in the marketplace. And then he also talks to the elites, the academic elites. And he gets to know all of them. And he brings the gospel to them. I love it. How do they respond? First of all, I want you to know, Paul doesn't turn away. He doesn't flee Athens to get away from idolatry. He he leans into Athens uh, to bring the good news that purges people from idolatry. And then what's the first thing people start to say? Well, the elites start to listen to them and they say, oh, I see we have a babbler speaking. Now that word babbler is, is, is a word that means seed picker. It's referring to a little bird. You ever seen a little bird, like a, a finch that jumps around outdoors and it'll just pick up seed and then spit it out here, here and there? That's what they're calling Paul. If you haven't got it yet, it's an insult. Uh, they're saying, oh, he's just a little bird who picks up an idea here and spits it out there and um, you shouldn't really give much weight to what he says. 
He's a babbler, a preacher of foreign divinities. And they seem to have misunderstood, by the way. They think that Jesus and the resurrection are two different gods. We'll get to that more next week. What does Paul do in the face of this? He doesn't say, all right, I tried him out. He says, let's go. Let's talk about this. I'm going to lean in. Where's your, where, who, who are the academic elites that are saying this? I'd like a hearing with them. Yes, I'll accept your invitation to speak uh, to your prestigious philosophical school. And he goes with the gospel without fear. He goes knowing that the gospel is the only solution to this, this deep problem of an idolatrous heart. The seed picker, he's not really a seed picker, but the seed picker says, all right. Let's do this. Reminds me of Jesus. Jesus saw the idols of our hearts. He saw it and he being the holy and perfect and true God come in the flesh. He must have been disgusted by our idols. He knows the human heart. He knows your heart. He knows everything that you have lifted up to put in the place of God. And those idols sicken him and they create in him a holy outrage. But he did not leave us in that. He did not flee from us. He pursued us. Even in our philosophical and spiritual pride, he came after us and he was so provoked by our self-worship that he pursued us all the way to the cross. So Paul learned from Jesus what it means to pursue a people who are idol-loving and who resist and who just don't listen. How can we emulate this? How can we follow the path of Paul and our Savior Well, we're going to need to see the idols of our day for what they really are, the glory grabbers that they are. And then we're going to need to feel that provocation. Lord, unless I feel that, I'm not going to speak. Unless the Holy Spirit stirs up within me this disgust for idols and purges me enough of my idols so that I want others to be free from them. I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to be quiet and complacent. Lord, you've got to stir this up in me. And then, friends, we we have to speak. We have to talk to people. We've got to enter into those difficult conversations where people are, 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 are saying, are mocking us because of Jesus. And we've got to go there because Christ went there for us. We would have been dead in sin if he had not gone there for us. Will you say, Pastor, What do I say? What do I say to people? Well, you just come back next week and and I'll tell you. you, Next week, we are going to get into that. We're going to break down the basics of of, of what a response to a pagan and godless culture looks like. But I'm not going to leave you hanging today. We proclaim Christ and his resurrection. We proclaim Jesus as the one who frees us from our idols, who gives us significance and hope, life beyond the dead.
power over sin. Pleasures forevermore, not in drunkenness and, 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 and the things of this life, but, but in, in God. Jesus gives us stability. Jesus gives us significance. Jesus gives us hope. Jesus gives us security. And he gives us all of this because he's, he rose again from the dead to deal with our guilt to, and to give us power over sin. Now look at this. I want to show you as we close here that Paul is not the seed picker. And here's why. Because the Athenians are. The Athenians are the seed pickers. Look at this. In verse 21. So right after they've said, you're just this babbler, you're just this seed picker, you pick up an idea, you throw it over there, you don't, you're just all about um, selling new pieces of knowledge. Look at what Luke says. He Luke goes out of his way and says, I want to tell you something before you hear Paul speak. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. What are they doing? Why are there 30,000 idols? It's because one, one wasn't enough for them. And two wasn't enough for them. And three wasn't enough for them. They have 30,000 idols and counting because they aren't satisfied because they aren't happy with their will worship, because they, they're not finding the answers uh, from, from their human attempts to find significance. They're seed picking, and they know it deep down. And Christians, we get to enter into the public square. We get to dialogue with people and say, you know, the thing that you think's giving you significance, it can't do that. You're just going to pick up another thing and another thing and another thing and another thing. You choose beauty, age, age, aging will, will probably do something uh, to, to deal with that. You choose, uh, you choose your, your football hero, Joe Burrow. And he's out with a broken wrist. You choose money and it can't go with you beyond the grave. You see, the idols of this world cannot sustain what they are, are attempting to sustain. And that's why they're always looking to something new. That's why our world is obsessed with new answers to life's same ongoing problems. And they'll dress it up and they'll make it look new, but they're seed picking, friends. And that's where we get to go in and say, stop seed picking. I have an answer and it'll deal with your deepest problems. It's the gospel. Power over sin, power over death. We'll talk more about all of that next week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, give us that holy outrage against sin, against idolatry. Purge our hearts of, our, of idols. Make us strong and steady, ready to proclaim the gospel in the public square. Help us not shrink back out of fear. But Lord, help us to go in knowing what, we all, what we've already seen on every commercial, on every TV ad, on every social media post looking for significance where it should not be found. Lord, people need Jesus. So let's proclaim him. Give us the power to do that. We pray this in his name. Amen.